discussed at community group. Uh, one, my ignorance of pomegranates. We actually purchased a pomegranate this week. I think Becca actually posted a picture in Slack if you want to see it. But <clears throat> we purchased a pomegranate. We cut the pomegranate open and we removed all of the seeds, which are the thing that you eat of the pomegranate. Um, and there's a great many seeds inside of a pomegranate. In fact, like the whole thing is just these fruit seeds. So that's pretty cool. Um, we, uh, we still have many seeds left to eat at our house, but that was the experience. Just so you all know, I, I now understand which part of the pomegranate you eat. <clears throat> it's not my fault. The only pomegranate I really understood was what comes in that little weird-shaped bottle. Uh, the, it's called palm. Um, and I feel like that's kind of gross, but the, uh, the fresh pomegranate was quite delicious, just in case you're curious. Um, and, and also, I just like, like just some goofy idiot, uh, did say that they had like, 12 or 6 stones on each shoulder of onyx. So there's one stone of onyx on each shoulder in the, on the high priest. One stone on each shoulder. That's two total stones. There's six names engraved on each stone. So there's six on one shoulder, six on the other. It's the names, not the stones. So I just want to correct those from last week because apparently people do listen to the recording of the audio, and I feel like I owe it to some people who somewhere are listening to say, hey, uh, I'm just an idiot and make mistakes. But thankfully... Uh, all of you caught me here at, uh, at their community group this week. So I'm able to make those <laughs> corrections now. Uh, this week will be in Exodus 39, verses 32 to 43. The title of our sermon tonight is Building Inspection. We are going to do some building inspection today. We're going to make sure everything's up to code. I don't know, has anybody here ever sold a home or bought a home? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Okay. In doing so, we understand there's a process of inspection and then there's, an, there's a process of fixing anything the inspector decided. There's a final inspection. There's a final walkthrough. The house is looked over a great many times to make sure everything is in order with the, the house itself, the sale of the house. All of that goes on when you're buying a home. But tonight we're talking about God's home, God's abode being made by man. And the inspection is all that much more important as it will be the holy dwelling of God amongst his people. So as tedious as anyone who's walked through that process has been on earth, I can assure you that this process for Moses and the children of Israel is going to be a much more involved process as the stakes are significantly higher than in our case. All right, let's get started, shall we? The first point tonight is understanding the building project. I want us to really like kind of become immersed in this process. We have looked repeatedly at how at what pieces were going to constitute the, the the tabernacle. We've looked now for weeks at the construction of those pieces. And now we're coming to the point where all of those pieces, those things are going to need to be inspected to ensure that the pieces that will be making up the tabernacle are the correct pieces. They are the pieces that were were given to Moses in a blueprint. The, the exact, the, the sizes, the dimensions, the, the way they shine, everything needs to look like what God revealed to Moses on the top of the mountain. And I want us to really get, get outside of the, the minutia of the things. And as we've been several, for several weeks now trying to get inside what it would be like to be in the community of Israel, right? God's chosen people as, as this work is now going to be put up for display to see if indeed they had followed what God had commanded. And if indeed God would be able to dwell amongst them because they had made what he had called them to make. All right, so understand the building project. The first verse we're going to be in tonight is Exodus 39 and 32. Here's what it says. It says this, thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was completed. And the sons of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, 
So they did. That's what it says here, Exodus 39, verse 32. And so in trying to understand exactly what's happening here inside the nation, we have to take this verse, which tells us, I mean, a lot. It's a lot in one verse. Um, but it tells us exactly what's going to be set up here at the end, for the end of this chapter. Now, the end of this chapter is going to lead into the actual, like, putting it all together. So next week is the putting all these pieces together to actually establish the dwelling place of God. But what we have here is an entire nation that has been working together on a most important dwelling. When I say an entire nation, I mean the entire nation here is involved. We know that they have been involved from the very inception of this construction process by giving, right? Not just giving some, but giving more and more and more until Moses was like, okay, okay, you guys can really, you got to dial the giving back. We've been, you've given too much because you've given more than the requirement that the Lord had. May that be true of all of us so that we may understand what it is the Lord has done for us. And so we have this entire nation working together. Despite the relative small size of the tabernacle, the layers, the meaning, and the details were of such importance that they required the attention of the full nation. Remember, we're talking about a, a, a building, in essence, a structure that is not bigger than this room. Like, it's, it's, it's not much bigger than this room. And yet, this is requiring the entirety of the nation. Why? Because every detail matters. It's not a big giant palace. This is the tabernacle of the holy God. Far more important would be the details of this building than of the palatial estate of Solomon. And so we have, we, have, we have Bezalel and Aholiab. They're working. They're overseeing teams of people who are sewing and engraving and cutting and molding even as they themselves are doing work. And they're doing this, right, for an unspecified amount of time couple of weeks, right? It's not a big structure, but everyone's doing the work. And when everybody does the work, a lot gets done. And you have all of this stress and strain going into the making of these things, right? We're melting down metal. We're, we're, we're carving and cutting wood. We're overlaying and inlaying and, and engraving, right? We're sewing. We're stitching. We're, we're molding. We're pouring. We're, all of this work going together. And you've got these overseers, right? It's like any construction site like, that you've driven past where you have teams of people working together and yet as they all work together, the building slowly goes up. And they're all doing different things. And as the pieces come together, one on top of the other, the structure is made. That's what we have here. We have all of these different teams working together, right? Are we going to get the, 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 the basin done? Are we going to get the altar done, right? We've got people over here sewing and making layer after layer after layer of the tent. We have people working on the, on the, the engraving, all this being overseen by like the, the divine uh, hand of God upon two men to oversee the work. And all this is happening. And now they're gathering all of these things, the entire nation coming together. They're going to bring these things to ensure that these are the things, right? These things are correct. You have to think about those that are not working on the actual tabernacle, picking up the slack in the fields and the homes of those who were, all the while anxiously watching and waiting, right? Herds still needed to get tended, right? Goats still needed to be milked. There were still children to raise. There were still meals to make. All of that's still going on. At the same time, you have so many people drawn into the work of the construction of the tabernacle. And all of this as a nation coming together, right? Everyone anxiously looking, right? Even if you're working on the tabernacle, you're anxiously looking not only at what you're doing so that it is correct 
and, and obedient to the commands of the Lord, to what Moses has laid out, <clears throat> to what Oholiab and Bezalel have shown you to do. All of that happening, but you're also looking at the other portions that are being made. And as you could, as you know, those would go to tend to herds, they would come back anxiously looking to see how much progress had been made on the, temp, the tabernacle, the dwelling of God. And all this work as a nation together means that it's not just those that even had a physical hand in, in the things that are being constructed, but it's the whole nation coming together to present the work of the nation in establishing the dwelling of God amongst them. Finally, you have completed your task and you await the others. Every task and item slowly coming to fruition until everything necessary for the tabernacle is finished. You've done your work. You've worked your hardest. Everyone has helped you to be able to sew the curtains, right? And to pour the foundations and the footings. And, and all that's happened while well, they've helped maintain your home. And everyone's coming together now to look. We've got all these pieces done. Will they be correct? Right? Will they be holy and acceptable to the Lord? And now comes the inspection. We find this starting in verse 33. We're going to read verses 33 through 41. The items being brought, the inspection process taking place. So beginning with me, Exodus 29, verse 33, we read this. And they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, and the covering of ramskins dyed red, the covering of porpoise skin and the screening veil the ark of the testimony and its poles and the mercy seat, the table, all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the pure gold lampstand with its arrangements of lamps and all its utensils and the oil for the light and the gold altar and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the veil for the doorway, the bronze altar and its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the laver and its stand, the hangings for the court, its pillars and its sockets, and the screen for the gate of the court, its cords and its pegs, and all the equipment for the service of the tabernacle, for the tent of the meeting, the woven garments for ministering in the holy places, and the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister as priests, all of the items brought before Moses. And now comes the moment where they're going to have to be looked over, each one in detail. It says first that they brought the tabernacle to Moses. Now, it's interesting because they made a building, right? <laughs> they just brought the building right to Moses, which is not how normally inspections go. Normally, the inspector goes to the building to inspect it. Here, all the stuff that's going to make up the tabernacle is brought to Moses. This shows us, again, that everything in, uh, about the tabernacle was intended to be mobile. It was designed to be transported. That is the tabernacle. And having done all this work, everyone's bringing him all this stuff. Now, I'm going to think through this logically. It was probably more like a process of, you know, somebody bringing some things up, people bringing some things at a time to be inspected. I'm not sure they, like, laid out, like, a massive area where Moses was walking. It could have been that, right? But either way, there's a detail that's present here that we must understand. Each item is inspected by Moses. I just want you to think about that. Each item is inspected by Moses. And we know of all the big things, right? We, think, we can think of each big item, main item that we've seen and all the meaning behind it, but all the mundane items are being inspected by Moses. 
Bezalel and Oholiab had divine insight, but only one person had actually seen what each item was to look like. Just, just understand that. There was one man that had been given the gift of the presence of God on the top of the mountain, and that was Moses. One man had actually seen and knew the details of what each item was supposed to look like in its holy worship to the Lord. Each item was coming in turn, the many hands that took part in each piece, anxiously awaiting approval from the only man on earth that knew what their item was supposed to look like. It's kind of an overwhelming thing. Has anybody ever been a part of like a competition where like you had to make something? More like an academic kind of a competition. Maybe you made a project, like a science fair project. Well, the only difference is you actually, these people actually cared about this, right? You made your science project just to get it done so you could get some sort of grade, right? You didn't actually care about it. But if you're like a competition, I think back to my days in high school when they would have like an academic day type competition where you would, you would write things, right? Maybe you would, it's odd, it's going to sound weird. I did, I did calligraphy. It was like a, a thing where, you know, you make pretty letters. That's pretty much essentially what calligraphy is. I, uh, I did it, actually, I think I did it two years in a row. I remember the one year I, I, I supposed, I did a quote by Ben Franklin and I literally missed the N in his last name, not the first name, the last name. It was Ben Franklin. I'm like, how do you do that? Like, and that's what, I, that's what I turned into be a competition. But when you do something like that, right, maybe you're an artist, maybe you're a writer. When you're doing something like that, it's going to be graded and judged. And you actually wait because you, like, you put effort into it. And you, you, you're hoping that the grading goes well for you. And just imagine the level of, of intense desire for the people who have poured themselves working faithfully into what God had commanded, hoping that what they had done under the insight of Aholiab and Bezalel had been the correct thing, the right thing, the holy thing, the commanded thing, at the end, the obedient thing to the Lord. That's what's happening right now. That judgment that's being poured over. As detailed as our modern-day inspection processes, this one had both mortal and divine ramifications. You have to, you have to Hold that, right, and, and that weight there. Because the divine is the one whose building you're making. His home is what you're constructing. It's not just, oh, we're going to have more work to do. It's, oh, man, we must get the home of the Lord correct. There is a bigger weight to the dwelling that they're making here. Moses going piece by piece, hook and clasp, joint and stitch, from clothing to covering to engraving and molding, he sought to see what God had shown him on the mountaintop. And that's where this tedious process comes in. Of course, we're like, oh yeah, he's definitely looking at the golden lampstand. That makes sense, right? And he's looking at every aspect of it. The blossoms, the leaves, right? Is it proportioned correctly? But more than that, are any of the clasps a little off, right? That we're hanging the curtains with. Is there any impurity or imperfection in the silver footings for the posts? Every detail, every strand is being inspected because this is God's home. And the picture that God places in the mind of Moses as to what his home is to look like is not something that is to be trifled with. Here, every detail matters. For the very structural integrity of the building is actually found in the beauty and the design. Anybody in the camp was proficient at constructing something that could hold some weight to throw some covers over it. Building a tent was something these people were good at. The Hebrews could do that, no problem. This tent was unlike any other tent in that the stitching of the gold mattered. 
not just the ability of the acacia wood to support the structure. How good did we actually wrap it in layers of gold? Did we get the scarlet color right? Was the blue blue enough on the, on the garments of the, of the priest? All of these details mattered because this wasn't just about building a tent. This was about building the dwelling of God. And so Moses is detailed looking here at each individual part. And that's why I appreciate the, de- the, the detail here. It's not just, oh, here's the gold lampstand. It's all the wicks, all the, all the depths of all the oil, uh, the oil pans for each one. It's, it's the, the lighting instruments that would be used for it, right? It's not just the, the, the gold table of presents. It's all the implements that, would be used, that could be used for the serving and cutting of the bread. It's not just the, the grate and the altar, right? It's more than that. It's the fire pokers and, and all the instruments and the hooks that would be used to put sacrifices on and off the altar. All of that coming together. Every detail and strand of the, in the super like detailed garments of the high priest. Just thinking about looking at that. Every engraving of every letter. Every etching of every stone. Every setting of gold that it's placed in. All of that being looked at and inspected by Moses because this detail matters. The building wasn't going to fall down, but if the stitching wasn't right, it didn't matter anyway. And so the detail is super important. And finally, we come to the last few verses here in Exodus chapter 39. Hard work and spiritual blessing. That's what we find here at the close of chapter 39. Here's what we read, starting in verse 42. So the sons of Israel did all the work according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And Moses examined all the work, and behold, they had done it, just as the Lord had commanded. This they had done. So Moses blessed them. What an amazing two verses. What an amazing two verses. The repetition here of done is key, and it's exciting, and it's like so wonderful. Because we've gone from Building a golden calf to building the dwelling of the true, one, holy God. And they got it right. They obeyed. What a joy. This is great news. They had done all the work. It's a phrase right there in the text. They had worked hard to accomplish their goal. They had no idea if it was adequate. But they had given it their all to accomplish the command. That's what brought was brought before Moses. We have worked hard as a nation to build the dwelling of God, and he is inspecting it. They had done the work. The work was done. Now was only left to the judgment of the work, the work to be judged. And Moses himself gives us that word again. They had done it. You've done it, he said. This is the tabernacle, every piece, every metal working, every wood cutting, every stitch that was sewn, every piece that was dyed, every name that was engraved, every letter and every dot was all what the Lord had called to be made. Moses inspected the work and it was done. They had accomplished the commands of the Lord. And that's the key here. The building they did when they made a golden calf was disobedience to the Lord. The building they did on the tabernacle was obeying his commands. 
That's huge. I mean, in the course of whatever span of time we have here, which we don't have an exact understanding of this exact span of time, from the moment the, ca- the calf is being worshipped to the moment the tabernacle's pieces are judged holy, right? The moment they are judged as rightly obedient to the Lord. What kind of swing is that, right? We talked last week about the garments of grace, the high priestly robes being given to the very man who had just built a false god, an Egyptian god, a fake Yahweh, so that he, by the gracious gift of God, might rightly worship him and extend that worship from God to his people. What kind of grace is that? How about this grace? You all just worshipped a false god while the mountain is trembling and thundering. And now you have rightly worshipped the one true God. What kind of gracious God is this? It's overwhelming. We have simply built a building here, and over the past several months, we have seen the gracious hand of God poured out against for his people. Just poured out on them time and time again. It's absolutely overwhelming. This is just sewing and stitching and graving, but it's grace upon grace upon grace. They built a golden calf, and now they've built a holy dwelling for the Lord himself. This leads us to the final part here that Moses blesses the people. Their obedience led to spiritual blessing. Now, I'm not going to get, too, not going to get prosperity gospel in this at all. In fact, this point is going to lead us to our section on respond and understanding it well. So don't hear you get spiritual blessings when you do good things. Don't hear that as what I'm saying because that's not what I'm saying. Their obedience led to spiritual blessing. It says here that Moses blessed The people, indeed, it is the very last phrase here. So Moses blessed them. The whole nation of Israel was blessed for their obedience, their hard work together as the nation of God to rightly build a holy dwelling for him. Well, that's great news. That's really good news. I mean, after all, the fact that he would even allow these sinful jerks to build his home is a gracious gift in and of itself. And yet, not only that, they did it correctly. They obeyed and followed his commandments, and now they receive the blessing of obedience for their hard work in following his commandments. It's an interesting question. Many of the commentaries are talking about it. What did, what did he say? What's it look like to bless them here? Many of them reference this passage, and it is a good passage. What did Moses say? In Numbers 6, 23-27, we have the command of the it's called the Aaronic blessing, not ironic, Aaronic, like Aaron, Ick, Aaronic blessing. So we'll turn to Numbers 6, verses 23 through 27, so we can get a flavor of what that sounded like. And perhaps in here, we do hear some of what Moses said, though we don't know his exact blessing. Certainly, though, nonetheless, he blessed the people much in the same way Aaron is given this blessing for the people. Here's what we read, Numbers chapter 6, starting in verse 23. It says this, well, I'll start in verse 22. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, all right, verse 23, Speak to Aaron and to his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel, you shall say to them. So this is literally a blessing given from God as it's supposed to be spoken over the people of Israel. Here's what that blessing is from God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. This ironic blessing may have been something similar to exactly what Moses spoke over his people. Nonetheless, they received the blessing of 
the Lord for their obedience. And Moses spoke this over them. Whatever he said, it indicated the accomplishment of obedience to God by his people. Amen? They did it. They, they finally did it. They, they did something right. They obeyed him. They obeyed God. They built his holy dwelling. God could now dwell amongst his people because they had followed his commandments. This is all God has been seeking his people to do, is follow his commandments, that he may dwell amongst them, that they may be his people. I love Matthew 6.10 here, seeming appropriately for this. If you're looking at Matthew 6.10, you'll be thinking, that's right there in the Sermon on the Mount section in Matthew. Yes, not only that, it's in the Lord's Prayer, right, of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, verse 10. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord gives us those words to pray. Hear that joy that you can think of in those words, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What could be more true in this moment? They're making his dwelling on earth, that his glory may dwell amongst his people, that his kingdom may come. That's, that's in essence what they're feeling here. This is a theocracy. This is God's people on earth. It's a glimpse of what is to come when all is made right and everything placed under the footstool of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. It's, it's just a picture of that. And this, this, this is so cool because here we have Jesus in Matthew giving us how do we pray and what does it look like to worship God rightly? That we would seek his kingdom first and that we would pray his will be done on earth as it would be done in heaven. Is there anything done in heaven that is not the will of God? No, absolutely not. There in his presence, only his will goes forth. And so it is all the time for God is sovereign. And so of course we seek yes and only God's will going forth. The good news is God's will will go forth. Amen? Amen. Moses here, blessing the people through a prayer often given to the people, crying out blessing from the Lord Jesus in Matthew 6, instructing us on how to pray, seeking to do the very thing that the people of Israel here are seeking to do, to bring about God's will and kingdom on earth, building his tabernacle, his dwelling amongst his people. But all this led me to a question, leads us to ponder something, something that we should consider deeply. A lot of this seems to be about what they had done, what they had built, the work that they had put into it. And yes, and indeed, the close here very much is seemingly that exact flavor of Exodus. But when we truly understand it, we know exactly what's happening. The question is, had they done it? Had they done it? Had they really done it? The work, the building. Had they really made something that could be considered the perfect dwelling of the Lord? Really? These people. The Hebrews? I mean, I don't know about you, but when I read it, I start to feel like, like something in me says, I don't know if these guys can pull this off, right? I know these people. I've journeyed with them for two and a half years now through the scripture. I don't know if I feel like these people could have gotten it exactly right, let alone what seemingly happens to be on the first try. I don't know. <laughs> I have doubts. I feel like I have reservation about that whole process. How? How did these people accomplish the will of God in the details of construction of his dwelling? It's not like there's like flex room, right? It's not like, well, you know, it kind of looks like a cherubim. Like, it's like, 
eh, it's close enough to like a lotus blossom. I don't know. Like, no, like these are, this, this is like serious work here. This got to look exactly like the Lord had told Moses it had to look. It couldn't look kind of like it, right? It's like, geez, Jan, his wings are a little off. Couldn't he use proportions or something? Broken out like, I don't know, a cubit stick or something? You didn't measure right. And they, they got it right. They made the tabernacle, the dwelling of the Lord. But that's the question that sticks in my mind. But there's really only one answer. There's only been one answer this whole time throughout Exodus, right? Only one answer that you can turn to every time. God is the answer. Yahweh is there. Yahweh is the reason they could accomplish this thing. There's no other reason. And we know this to be true. We feel it. When you read this text, it just pours into you, right? How do we ever do anything right? But for the grace of God. That's the only answer. There is no other answer. I know that most of my life, I'm just a giant, just disgusting mess. I'm a mess. I'm broken. I, I mess it up all the time. I mess it up with my wife. I mess it up with my kids. I mess it up with each one of you. I mess it up with my coworkers. I mess it up with the customers. I'm, I mess it up all the time. We can't drive a car for 10 minutes without getting angry, frustrated, disobeying a law. All, I mean, just it doesn't matter. We, when something is done right, it only ever comes from the grace of God. And so when we look at this and we're like, there's no way they got this done. There's no way. Of course there's no way. Of course there's no way. The answer is God did it. They didn't find themselves free just by some random chance. They found themselves free because of the overwhelmingly powerful hand of the living God. They didn't find themselves alive in the wilderness because they're great survivalists, they found themselves here free in the wilderness because of the gracious, powerful provision of God. And now they didn't find themselves as slaves to be the best constructioners ever. They built the holy dwelling of God because of his gracious, holy provision and supervision. His sovereignty builds the tabernacle. And so isn't it his grace that he would let them know their hard work and obedience bore the blessing of obedience? This leads us probably to the greatest news for each and every one of us. This is great news. I mean, all right, the last few verses of Exodus are really the greatest news. Like, they're the coolest thing. But like, here is the great news. When you feel inadequate, there is a history of God working in his people to accomplish his will. A history, all of it, every last second of history is God working in his people to produce his will. Amen. I mean, like, honestly, honestly, like the Proverbs tells us that it's more than just his people. The heart of the unbelieving king is in the hand of God, and he turns it as a river wherever he wills, all right? All things work for God. All things bring about his glory. But to those who are are his people, we know the weight of what it's like to desire his glory, his will above our own. And it's like, we can never get it. I mean, the world doesn't care. The world, the world, God brings about his glory through them, and they don't care, they don't even know. But what, what joy is it that we get to observe, right? And also, what weight is it when we see that we have really, really, like, missed the mark? Like, those things are true if you are in God's family, if you are part of God's people, those things are true for you. Outside of God's family, they don't care. And when we fail, there's a whole history, a whole history of people failing. 
and yet God bringing about his glory, nonetheless, through their failure, all the more so because of their failure. So what's the secret? What is the mysterious answer to actually bring about the will of the Lord? How do we do it? Is it possible to figure out for us, broken, mortal, sinful, can we do it? I just want to clarify, none of a, no, no mortal man exists. So you're all, there's all immortal men, only immortal men. Everyone's Highlander, okay? And I'm going to get that confused. But here, our sinful vessel will die. There is mortality in it. And so we have this moment because he's given it to us. How then do we accomplish his will? How can we move forward in it? I believe Philippians 2, 12 to 13 really give us that answer. It's one of my favorite passages, and I think I've taught it like a, oh, probably 30 times here. Probably, no, that's, that's, that's definitely an underestimation. I really love these verses because they're amazing. What's happening in the Greek is so overwhelming. And I, read it, I started out uh, the remove distractions portion, and I ended in these two verses in Philippians 2. So we're going to go there again. Philippians chapter 2, right here. It's a small book. It's tucked right there in between Ephesians and Colossians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Two very important verses that seem to, in the English, say things that confuse us. They, they cause us some consternation, especially if you're someone who uh, leans to the doctrines of grace. They, they cause a, a little bit of consternation here. But yet in them, just as we just read in Exodus, is the idea that people are doing something. There's work happening. There's activity happening by people what does it lead to? What does it mean? Both of these passages lead to the will of the Lord, but Philippians 2, it unpacks the reality of what's happening in Exodus. Let's, let's read verses 12 and 13 together here in Philippians chapter 2. It says this, So then, my beloved, Paul greatly loving the Philippian believers, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Here's his call to the people. Listen. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that's probably the like, phrase that really kind of says, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Work out your salvation. Some of your texts may work out your own salvation. You might put that personal pronoun in there. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It sounds like, I mean, th that verse, like just reading it just like that in the English, right? Our wonderful English language is limited in its scope where Greek was not. Work out your own salvation. It sounds like you have something to do with it, right? Hmm. Let's read on. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so what we know is verse 12 is not leaving salvation in our own hands to do. Amen? Amen. Praise God for that. That's a great gift. Salvation isn't in your hands. It's in God's hand. Yet why does it tell me to work out my salvation? Well, first of all, like, it's not just work out your salvation. Let's not forget the adjectives. Fear and trembling, please. That's how we work with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in you. God works through his people. And the best part about Philippians 13, it's not just that we accomplish his will, but even the work, like the work you do, the literal things, like his will and to work, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Not only like, is his will what we aim at, but the activity of doing his will is also brought about by him. He does it. Amen? What good news is that? 
Yes, you fall short. Yes, we fall short all the time. God is there to work in you for his will, all to bring about his good, his good pleasure and his glory. The secret here is to seek God's work. I appreciate verse 12. If you're to take the, the Greek and kind of look at what some of those words are, that the idea of working out your salvation, just that little phrase in and of itself, it has the continuous experience of God's power to deliver. The continuous experience of God's power to deliver. And that's why I was trying to describe it to you earlier, that the people that are not in God don't care. They don't care. They don't care that they are enacting the will of God because God is sovereign. Rather, we do, we desire, we should desire his will. The first step is to seek the will of the Lord, to seek to do good, right work for God's glory. And then we find ourselves in that continuous experience of God's power to deliver. It is not that God is not working in the unbeliever. It's that he gifts his children the ability to see. You have eyes to see what the will of the Lord is. You can know when you miss the will of the Lord if you are in Christ, for the Holy Spirit, through his word and his working, shows you. The community of God's people show you. These things working together to help reveal that we have not quite hit the mark, that we have then been, it can then be encouraged, right? Stirred up to love and good works. All of that working together. The people that are not inside God's family, they have no recourse for that. And so the gift out to us is that God gives us the eyes to see. And if you pause for half a second, you can, you can know that's true, right? Looking back on your life, you can see. You can see moments where God worked through you to avert complete disaster. Amen? Amen. I mean, not just physical disaster. Like, yeah, God, literally his hand can be on the these centimeters between you and another car on the highway. Certainly. And what a, what a praiseworthy event that is. But how about physical and emotional damage? God can work in us. But it's even more than that. Because God can work through the broken pieces of a car wreck just as he can work through the broken pieces of relationships. All of those things are in God's hands. All of them. The, the reality is that God has given us eyes to see. The question is, where are we looking? What are we even looking at? You have to first seek God's work. And then here for us, it is the idea that we are following what he commanded, right? If it is God who is at work in you, then what, all we do is follow after the work God is doing. That is all we do. If you want to do the work of the Lord, follow after him. Like, what does that mean? It means get into his word. You must know him and know what he's calling you to do. Now, for all of us, I say this every week, some of us have already been given things to do. Do you have children? I can tell you one thing God has given you to do. This is right off the top of my head, right? Do you have a spouse? I can tell you one thing God has given you to do. do here, here's, the, here's the kicker, though. Here's the real thing. Here's where it really comes from. Do you have breath in your lungs? Then God has given you something to do. If you're breathing, then you have been called by God to do work for him. Because what else is there? The chief end of man is to glorify the Lord. There's nothing else for us to do. So whether that is learning and growing, whether that is sharing the burdens of others, whether that is diving into life 
with the person next to you, whether that is going to work and working hard for the glory of God, whether that is laying down to rest for the glory of God, whether that is making much of who God is, all of these things with the breath the Lord has given is what he has called us to do. And so we seek the things of the Lord and follow him in what he has called us to do. The Lord has already gone before us. It is he who works in us, both to will and work for his good pleasure. And that is the joy at the end here. He will accomplish his will through broken obedience. Amen? Amen. He will. And I can, I, can, I can guarantee this. When you look back on your life and you're like, I really messed up. I messed that one up, God. You gave me the opportunity there and I missed it. I just missed it. I whiffed. I failed you. I honored myself. I glorified myself. I didn't glorify you. In the very essence of you identifying that with the eyes to see, you have brought glory to the Lord. Amen? A hundred percent you have. Identifying that offers the ability to repent. Repentance brings forgiveness and restoration every time, wholly and completely. And so even in our mistakes, we're able to see the joy of repentance. And those moments where you get it right and you look back, and you're like, my goodness, the Lord worked through me there. Guess what? Glory to the Lord. Praise and honor to his name. It's right there. Just in examining, just in taking stock. And so that's, that's the response tonight. It's pretty simple, really. God is at work in you. God's will is to work in you. And he will accomplish his work in you for his good pleasure. Will you see it? Will you see it? Will, will you and I walk together with eyes open, looking at where God has worked in us to bring about repentance because we messed up, looking at the times where the Lord actually worked to it, where we, we just got out of the way long enough for God to do something and bring him praise and honor for it. Like, let's spend some time. That's what response is all about. Spend some time. Spend some time in prayer. I mean, what has God given you? Has he given you life and breath? Has he given you, get this, salvation from sin and death? Your greatest, your, your greatest accomplishments are nothing in the fact that God counts you righteous and holy. That's the biggest one. And you didn't even do it. It wasn't you at all. And so we have so much to be thankful for. If there's opportunity tonight, there's opportunity tonight for you to repent from where you have missed the mark. There's opportunity tonight for you to rejoice in those moments where the Lord has worked through you. Now I'm giving you a blank check tonight to respond. Wherever you go is where you go. You know, it, you want to thank the Lord for a wife from 13 years ago that somehow there's someone who you're married to, then do it. If you want to thank him because somehow he found you when you were the greatest sinner ever, as he found all of us, thank him, praise him. Have you missed the mark? He wants to restore and forgive you completely. Repent. All of this is to remind us that the Lord will work in you to will and work for his good pleasure. Let's pray that we may have the eyes to see. And let's do that in response together to the Lord now.